0: I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello, and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today, we have Dallas Woodburn, author of, well, lots of things, but most recently, the short story collection, How to Make Paper When the World is Ending. We're going to talk about that, which is a thing I never knew I wanted to know about, but now I do. But first, Dallas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're excited to have you because I have... Okay. So normally <laughs> we get pitches from people and the pitches are like, hi, I have three books out and we, I want to talk about X, right? Dallas's pitch is like, hi, I have 923 things, all with different <laughs> publishers. Also, <laughs> I've won some awards and I'm willing to talk about ghosts and or a climate crisis and or... Becoming a debut novelist during a global pandemic. So, my question really is <laughs> Who are you? Where did you come from? No. <laughs> my real question is How did you start with this whole
1: writing thing? It's a great place to start and it has evolved almost as you were describing that I feel like I don't know an octopus or a jellyfish with like lots of different tentacles and different projects. One of my big beliefs is that we don't have to limit ourselves as creative beings and we can do all sorts of genres and all sorts of projects just with what is calling to our hearts. But yes, I've just been writing for as long as I can remember. Always have loved stories, always have loved reading. My dad is a writer. So I think I almost had an inside look at the life of a writer from a super early age. And yeah, went on to study creative writing in school and got my MFA. And that was just really great to give me, I think, some structure around my writing Mm -hmm. time. And also just, I guess, the permission to really like go all in on something that you love, which I feel just very grateful to have had that and to, I guess, just be able to make a life doing this writing thing and living with these fictional characters and doing all these projects that, as you're saying, are (laughs) very different in a lot of ways. But that I think just the commonality is just following my curiosities, I guess I would say. So you do this full time? I do. Well, I, I guess I would say now about half time because I have two little ones at home that I watch for a large part of my day. Mm-hmm. And, and then I do writing and I'm also a book coach. So that's- Because of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that's amazing just to be able to help other women in particular give birth to the stories inside of their hearts. I love that. Okay. So logistical question, I guess. You
0: have multiple books out and they all seem to be through different small presses. Most often we see people who have, you know, several books with one press or they're publishing themselves. Why do you have so many different presses in play right now?
1: Yes, it is a great question. I would say it's sort of a process that happened over many years. And you know how publishing works where things can take a long time. Yes. <laughs> so um, it sort of just came into being that I had a lot of books that had been with me for a long time that ended up being accepted at different places at different times. And then a lot of, kind of came out around the, same, around the same time in this very exciting 2022 was a really exciting year part of it was logistical so i write young adult novels and i also like writing adult short stories and so my publisher for my young adult novels does not also publish adult short stories so part of it was logistically looking for a publisher that would be a really good fit for that genre and i guess too when i'm when i'm writing a book i love to first just envision it and write it without really even thinking about publishing and marketing during that creative process. But then when I am ready to try to find a publisher, I like to think about, well, are there other books out there that almost seem like cousins to mine or related to mine? And then, you know, who published them? So instead of feeling kind of hemmed in, like I need to stick with this one publisher for every project, instead learning from each publishing experience, and then also trying to find the best fit for that particular book project, if that makes sense.
2: So even if you have a young adult with your young adult publisher and you have another young adult coming out, you would still think a look at other publishers to see what is the best fit for that particular book?
1: Yeah, I would. So I have a young adult novel coming out next year with a different small press, Al Hollow um, publishing that I've just loved their work for a very long time. And this book just felt like such a fit with their aesthetic in a way that I just felt like with the editors there that it would just be in like very good hands and they would really help make it better. So I think I definitely feel like it's good as an author to, to grow from every publishing experience. And I think we can learn from different editors. So if you find an editor that you really click with at a certain publishing house or a small press, of course, like maybe you want to stay there, but also editors change and move around. And like editors that I worked with at some small presses are no longer there. And so I think it's also good to just feel empowered as an author to, to find different places too. Hmm. I never
2: even thought of that as being a thing. So that, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know anyone.
0: I don't know anyone personally who does that. And now I'm sort of intrigued by that as a concept that you could just, it makes a lot of sense to to find the right home for each piece, especially if you write in a lot of different spaces. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But I'm also kind of wondering, so you, you have an MFA, looking at your list of honors and awards and things, how is your experience in the MFA program influencing your approach to this whole writing and publishing thing?
1: Yeah, I would say with my MFA a big part of the experience was the part of it was learning craft based, I guess, tenants or principles are really like studying the craft of writing, learning to read as a writer and being part of a community of other writers. So I feel like that is really important, something that I've carried along with me. But also I think one, one thing that was actually a detriment to me during my years in my MFA which perhaps was me imposing this on myself as opposed to like it being imposed but I remember really feeling like I had to kind of pick a lane or pick a genre mm-hmm. everyone in my MFA program was writing like very serious literary fiction and so I was as well but I also have a love for for young adult fiction and and like romance and things like that and so those were sort of my secret projects that I would work on and not tell anybody about <laughs> um and and so, I feel like to me, something that I almost had to unlearn from my MFA experience was that I had to just like pick one thing. And that in order to be a serious writer, I could only write literary fiction. And so, that was something that over time, I felt like I became more comfortable in myself as a writer and like all of my different loves, and that I could show people and be proud of my young adult stuff, even if maybe it wasn't as like literary as other pieces that I had worked on in my MFA.
2: See, I hope MFA eventually evolves to start understanding that all those other genres are legitimate writing experiences and teaching people how to write those well is just as legitimate as writing literary fiction. I know we we need people to learn how to like, you know, write for their tropes and write There there are things that you could learn in MFA that I feel like they're really failing their students on. So I'd like to hear that they fix that eventually. But anyway, (laughs) what I want to delve into is Emma mentioned something about ghosts.
1: What now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my my short story collection that just came out in June, How to Make Paper When the World is Ending, it is kind of a reimagining of the ghost story trope or genre so Mm -hmm. there are a couple stories in there that actually have ghosts (laughs) like that we might think of ghosts but there are also some stories that kind of explore the ghost story in a different way almost like ghosts of what could have been or Mm. you know regrets i have one story that is the same plot but told in in two different ways so one as like a horror story and one as more of like a romance story oh that sounds cool (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And I think as I was reflecting on the collection, get it so interesting writing stories at different points of your life and then sort of trying to bring it together as this cohesive whole and looking for different themes and different motifs. And just when Ghosts came up, it was a little bit surprising to me, but also not surprising because I feel like I, in a lot of ways, am kind of communing with a ghost when I write. I have a few dear people in my life that I have lost. And writing is such a a way that I feel like I still try to connect with them. Both in fiction things emerge where I look back and I'm thinking, oh, you know, that's sort of maybe some questions that I was that I was asking them or in nonfiction as well. So yeah, I mean I guess that sort of just emerged really organically through that process.
0: Hmm. Okay. Is there a story about making paper? Or is that like, a really pretty metaphor for, look, I wrote a book?
1: There is a story about making paper. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yes.
2: She is not lying to you. You can learn how to make paper.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I did, I did, you know, actually physically like learn how to, how to make paper as part of research for that story. So... So yeah, I guess it's not quite a recipe in there, but it's the process that I used um, for making paper. That's
2: awesome. So it sounds like you've been keeping yourself pretty busy with the awards, the writing, kids, life. Oh, she
0: has a podcast too.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which actually our listeners may well be interested in, aside aside from the fact that it is a podcast, Mm -hmm. it's called Thriving Authors Podcast. Nice. So tell us a bit about what you do over there and why our listeners might want to um, hop over and listen to you when they're done with this episode.
1: I would love that. I I do every other episode is an interview. So similar to this interview, just interviewing an author about their creative journey and their writing life. And I guess I'm really interested in sort of delving underneath the surface of our author personas that we present to the world and sort of getting behind the scenes of you know, the ups and downs of the journey that led us there. And then every other episode is just a solo episode with me sharing insights from my writing life or topics that come up a lot in my coaching work with my clients. So a mm-hmm. lot of my listeners are, are writers. I have a lot of just book fans, readers, teachers, but it's definitely just all about the writing life and creativity and inspiration and all those good things.
2: So what made you decide to be a book coach?
1: I like, like I was saying with the short story collection, I feel like it kind of emerged organically. So during my MFA, I was able to teach classes for undergraduate students, um, including Mm. creative writing classes. And I really loved it. Like I discovered that in addition to having this love of writing. I also really had a love of teaching and sharing. And, and I guess I always envisioned when I was like a kid, when I dreamed of being a writer, I thought that I would just be writing on my own, like in a room all day. And I do think of myself as an introvert, but I grew to realize that I needed a little bit more kind of, you know, human interaction and being around other writers was really helpful for me and just really made me feel kind of filled up. And so after I graduated from my MFA, I I just felt like certain certain people came into my life, you know, asking, "Well, you've written a book or you've published books. I I have a book inside me. Like, I want to do this too. What what can I do?" And so I sort of was helping people just individually and then I kind of realized there's there's a theme here. Like, there's certain things that I feel like I'm able to offer or help people through. And then also, to be honest, I feel like a lot of my experience in my MFA and just kind of with the publishing industry, there's a lot of really like masculine energy around it. It can feel very competitive sometimes. It can feel almost like like a race or like we need just, just, just some language about almost like beating these books out of us that it just has to be so hard. And I'm not saying that it's easy to write a book, but I do feel like there can be just more gentleness, more nurturing, like more of a journey in the process that isn't so focused on the end product, but that's more focused on it as like this transformational experience. And then also I kept hearing from women who were sort of doubting like their, the worth of their stories, doubting like their power to tell their own stories. And it kind of made me, it made me upset. You know, I was like, You deserve to tell your story. Like There's a place for you. And so just really wanting to, I guess, create an experience that felt safe, that felt just like a supportive community, Mm -hmm. I guess something that I'd been trying to build for myself over many years and of trial and error, wanting to kind of provide that for people who have a book inside of them, but just feel scared or feel alone or like don't know where to start. And it's just been so amazing to be able to be part of these books and the creative process and just the connections that are formed in the group of ladies that I work with as their book coach is really, really special.
2: So do you do that independently or through a, like a company? I know there's some book coach companies out there.
1: Yeah, I do it independently.
2: Mm -hmm. I don't know when she sleeps, but you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just publishing books, coaching people, doing a podcast, having two small children. It's fine. Everything's fine.
2: Do you have pets?
1: (laughs) No, I do not have Ah. pets.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what are you working on now?
1: I'm working on a new novel very slowly, though. I will say a lot of my books that have come out were ones that were written over like many years and then just kind of came out around the same time. And so I, I think of myself as a fairly slow writer, just bits of time here and there. I try to write for 15 to 20 minutes a day and it slowly adds up. So, you know, I may be about a third of the way through a new novel, kind of just feeling my way through the messy middle of it. But definitely, I would say that I just have learned so much the power of consistency in my, whether it's my writing or, you know, doing a podcast or I just think sometimes we Tell ourselves that we need a whole bunch of time to accomplish something big that we're dreaming of. Maybe it's writing a book or doing whatever. But I found that even just if I can um, connect with my book project for like 15 or 20 minutes a day, it does really add up. Where maybe some days I write like a hundred words, right? (laughs) And it feels like that seems like nothing. I don't even really want to count that as, as a writing day, but If I'm able to do that consistently, it's, I've just been amazed at how, at how a book can grow from that.
2: No, it's important. If you can only do 15 minutes a day, at least that's 15 minutes a day, you know, you're always going to write something. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, and that's so much, it really is kind of sneaky the way our brains are like, no, I need two hours. But if you do two hours once every two weeks versus 15 minutes a day,
2: you're getting more done in the 15 minutes a day.
0: Yeah. So like take right. what
2: you can get, do the thing. And then something might really spur you on and that 15 minutes may turn into
1: more, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. There's so much less pressure, I think, on each, on every 15 minute or 20 minute or half an hour session, as opposed to if you're like, okay, I have two hours. There can sometimes feel like more pressure and we can sort of freeze up too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you can kind of sneak in 15 minutes in different places in your day. So you mm-hmm. might get two 15-minute sessions and now you've written for <laughs> half an hour, but there's no way you could have done a 30-minute session with two small children running around. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love that. Okay, so if people want to keep up with your upcoming novel and all the many things that you have done and are doing, where can they find you on
1: the internet? They can find me at DallasWoodburn.com, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Dallas Woodburn Author. And I just recently decided that I wanted to give a little something to people who subscribe to my author newsletter that I send out every month. So I'd actually written a bonus chapter for my latest young adult novel. Thanks, Krissa, for ruining my life. So that is just a gift for everyone who signs up for my newsletter. And you can find out how to do that on my website. So I'd love to send that to you if you're interested in keeping in touch and staying up on on my writing life
0: okay so go to the website sign up for the newsletter and while you're doing that go listen to an episode of the Thriving Authors podcast because you might learn something thanks so much for being on the show Dallas
2: thank you so much for having me